Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Hi, everybody. This is David, and I am your host for the Safety Doc Podcast. Welcome. Glad you're back. We are at episode 24. Hard to believe. Um, Today, we will be talking about what I learned by co-writing a Hollywood School Intruder film script with Pulitzer Prize winning author and producer David Opst. We did it in only eight weeks. Phenomenal experience. And guess what? I had never done anything like that before. I'm going to talk about it and what it meant for me, what it meant for safety, what David was trying to accomplish in the Intruder film, and how how he got brought into that whole mix. Uh, very, very fascinating. Um, again, one of these things in life when someone would ask you, do you think you'll ever do something like this? And they'd be like, nope, never thought I would have that opportunity. And, and it just unfolded and it was there. Uh, before we get started into the show, a thank you to John Grant and the 405 Media for airing the Safety Doc podcast. I am a partner um, with the League of Extraordinary Podcasters that the 405 Media has. You can listen from politics um, into finance and into so many different uh, wonderful shows on the 405media.com. Listen to the Safety Doc 1 p.m. PST, Monday through Saturday. You can also go to the 405 Media and access the Safety Doc blog. I will have information there that you will find no place else because you're limited to like three to 4,000 characters in iTunes and YouTube and SoundCloud and so forth. And I go more in-depth off of what I've talked about. I give more links. Uh, again, my purpose is to be very empirically based and get you to the um, hardcore resources and to navigate around the rhetoric. I'm able to do that in the blog posts that I make on the 405 Media. So another reason to go to the 405media.com. Um, I also want to thank Sprigio, S-P-R-I-G-E-O.com. If you're watching this, you can look behind me and see Sprigio uh, noted up on the sign on the wall. Sprigio.com out of Santa Barbara, California. Joe and his crew leading the nation in online bullying, harassment, and um, threat input online systems. So when you hear about school um, shootings being foiled because there's been a report to um, authorities, it's through systems um, like Joe's. And Joe's system um, has been responsible for preventing attacks on schools. So Sprigio, if your school doesn't have Sprigio, your kids are going to school and uh, and you want to ask uh, you know your administration, you know what do, what do you do here for reporting if there is a if there's bullying, if there's harassment, if there's a potential threat toward the school, um, you you want that answer, you want to know what's going on. If they don't have an answer for you, get a hold of Sprigio, S P R I G E O.com, go to the website and uh, make the introduction Sprigio. Here's our school. School, here's Sprigio, and let it go from there. Very affordable, exceptional user interface. Also, ISS 24-7, talking about user interface, incident-based management that is app-based, app-based. The NFL and the NCAA, shopping malls, dense population uh, gatherings, you will find ISS 24-7. Definitely a leader continuing to evolve in incident management. You talk about incident management, you might think 
if you're at a sporting event of, of someone being rowdy in a crowd or something like that, or possibly, you know, if there's an argument. And that is part of instant management. Instant management, though, is also if someone is having chest pains or something like that, of being able to get your staff um, in that facility to that person as, as fast as possible. And that is done through ISS 24-7. So a few stories to share here before we get going. Some some interesting things I've encountered. I had my uh, inaugural bike ride for the season here in uh, Wisconsin last week. It was cool. I dressed warm. I don't like to bike when it's cool. Um, I love biking when it is hot, like the hotter the better. But I went out, I, I dressed for the weather, and about halfway through, and it was a great ride, by the way. Although, like, you know, uh, initially the first 30 minutes, I'm thinking, ooh, it's kind of cool out here. Not sure I want to continue on, but um, but it wasn't it wasn't that cold, and it was still in the morning, and it would be getting warmer, and the sun was starting to peek through the, the clouds. And, and it did turn out to be a very nice day for a ride. And, uh, and of all of the rides I've taken, I, I love just being out on my bike and taking, taking the long bike treks. And, and this was the first long bike trek I took after that serious accident I had last year. And, and I did have the bike um, rebuilt and, and upgraded. Um, but the birds, wow, hearing the birds, they were everywhere. And, and it was just, it was, it was so peaceful. Um, and, and to get back into that Zen moment of what do you hear and what do you see and how do you feel? I take uh, a break. Well, I take usually a couple of breaks, but this, this time I was up maybe five hours and I take a, take a break on this particular route at a, at a cemetery. And I think I've talked about this before. Um, it's, it's about a mile off the road. It used to be a church there years ago. Not there anymore. But I stop at this cemetery and I can walk around. I, I like the history of the, of the stones. Um, a number of stones in the cemetery from the 1870s, and they're they're those thin stones, and, and they have some um, they're weathered, but you know, and, they, and some of them have ornate things, like one has a dog on on, on the the actual top of the stone and things like that. But um, there there was a cloth, dark brown couch that was set directly in front of the cemetery. So if you're in sitting in the couch, you're looking out at maybe 60, 70 gravestones, which, which compose the cemetery. And there are a number then of, of wine bottles with the labels removed. I don't know what the purpose of that was. Um, all scattered kind of around where this couch was. And just a really eerie, bizarre experience. Uh, I'm doing this, you know, I'm out there during the day, but this, this is a um, cemetery which has made its way into lore into certain books for being uh, haunted. Now, I never have experienced, feel anything like that when I'm out there. You know, it's just a place. It's, it, in front of it where this church was, there's like a football field area where then, you know, I can park the bike, I can walk, I can stretch, I can grab a little beef jerky out of my my little bag off the back of the bike and, and just kind of take a break, get some water. Um, but but it was just, it was really odd because I'm trying to imagine, like, people at night sitting in this couch um, watch just in front of this, this, this cemetery, just as a really bizarre, bizarre thing. I didn't take a picture of it because it just didn't seem right to take a picture of it, but, but it's an image like it's, that is just in my head of, of why, why anybody would, would do that. So, um, I don't know. Um, and the other day, uh, in front of my house, uh, the, city's new fire truck is parked in front of my house like right in front of my driveway and i'm going to put this picture up on the screen you'll see this parked in front of my house and i'm, I'm thinking this isn't good this is not good um what happened is my neighbor um had punctured her gas tank on her suv uh, coming home from work on the interstate, something fell off a semi and had punctured this gas tank. And she parked the vehicle on the, on the road, had gotten out and had noticed gas draining down 
we live at the top of a hill it starts to then go down and then um you know you, you don't know if it's coming from necessarily like from a gas tank and there's these high, high pressure hoses now on these engines direct compression engines and things like that and and so vehicles can burn up you know this gas can spread so she calls uh, the fire department and it's her you know her husband her kids and, and things like that fire department shows up and uh and they are able to drain the tank and and then to put out the cat litter type stuff to soak up the gasoline and things. And I talked to one of the firefighters that go to the end of the driveway. I'm like, you know, what's, what's going on here? Give me a story. And, uh, and I said, well, you know, that'll take care of the weeds at the end of my driveway, you know, for a while, <laughs> because that is the one thing if you, you have the concrete and the pavement starts and you always get those weeds that kind of start in between. And we're not really big into Roundup or, or herbicides or, or things like that, you know, so I end up doing the, the vinegar salt dish soap mixture to wipe out stuff like that. But I'm like, okay, this gasoline is, is just wiped out whatever's growing there, which, and it did. Um, and we had a couple of rains and everything is, is kind of looks, looks fine again. So, um, anyway, um, had a odd experience at work, went into work on Monday. The door to my office was, it has, has a window and the window was all fogged up and that has never happened before. Um, and I'm thinking, you know, maybe, uh, my outside window was left open and temperature differentiation and, you know, whatever is causing this open, open up the door, hear this hiss, hear the hiss, see the cloud of steam. It's like walking into the fog. What was it? John Carpenter might not have been, but movie in the seventies, the fog rolling into town. Now there's a similar movie, the mist and my room is just this fog damp, humid, curled up papers. One of the lights had shorted out, um, above and, and the ballast and it was, had this, you know, smell, this burning smell to it. Um, computer monitor was humming cause it was, it was short circuiting. And, um, th- anyway, the radiator had stuck in the open position and it was spewing out this fog, this steam. It wasn't like this scalding steam, but, um, quickly got a hold of maintenance and said, something's not right. I'm at the corner of this one mile long building too. So things kind of have to work their way around through the corner and back through the building. Um, so maintenance was able to get things addressed pretty quick. It was a day that was sunny and a day that was windy. So opened up my windows and the room in about three hours kind of got back to normal. I had to throw a number of things out that turned into tacos from getting, you know, paper cardboard that got, got warped and, and stuff like that. And, but no mold, you know, nothing like that in the room. I only think this probably had been happening a few hours. Um, so, but it was the strangest thing to walk into this fog. And then as I'm calling maintenance, I'm hiding behind my monitor, um, which is on the other side of it is the radiator. And then I have my desk, you know, like in front of me, cause I'm like, well, if this thing blows, like this monitor should offer me very, 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 very minimal protection. Um, and, or I could lean, get behind my desk, you know, so I'm kind of making this phone call. Of, hey, like I need, here's what I got going on. So, um, bizarre, bizarre, but you know, just, just one of those things. Again, maintenance was there immediately, took care of the issue things things got resolved it's just quirky but i'm like in all of my years never walked into a room that was like a total fog with this hissing and and seeing this this steam shoot out so it would have been perfect on friday the 13th in october and guess what in october 2017 we do have a friday the 13th but uh but yeah for in april it didn't it didn't really have much of an effect um so um, let me give you a little bit of background of, of me and, and kind of some experiences I've had, have had with TV. Um, and this is all going to tie into, tie into school safety. So it, it was on May 22nd, 2013. So we're getting up to almost a, a four year anniversary, which is to me hard to believe because I, I felt, um, 
I don't feel that removed from this presentation. I, I did a presentation following the Sandy Hook Massacre. I contacted PBS and said I'd like to do a, an empirically based presentation on school safety, meaning not the rhetoric, um, but going down to the actual facts about school safety. And I, I did that May 22nd as a live audience, um, studio audience, uh, on Wisconsin Public Television, then was was syndicated throughout all of public television, then parts of Canada, and, and was as is still out there today. It's like you can you can view it. Um, and I gave a, a presentation. I believe it was about seventy five minutes long, um, called "School Security Crisis Preparedness and Known Information About Active Shooters." And um, again, it, you know, you can you can. It's still out there. It'll be out there forever. I mean, it's part of what's called university series. So um, I I learned a lot from from doing this. One is I prepared literally literally thirty or thirty five pages of of citations for every for my entire presentation. So if I had a slide and I had something that I shared on that that's that slide or something that I said. And I was to be questioned about it. Now, granted, like the audience wasn't questioning you while you were giving your presentation. Um, but afterwards, you did have to stay for a question and answer section that was not recorded. But that took, you know, prob probably an hour and a half to answer everybody's questions. Uh, but I wanted to make sure that everything I said was based in research or based in numerical data from, you know, the, the Bureau of Statistics or whatever it might be, um, that it was a complete rhetoric-free presentation that I was giving. Um, so I had these 35 pages because if I was going to be questioned on, on anything, I wanted to be able to go back and say, here, 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 here. Very, very important to me. And that was the purpose of this. Because what do we hear about school safety? What we hear is a lot of rhetoric, um, you know, like fortify buildings, give kids backpacks that are bulletproof. Come on, that's that's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous. So um, I was really on for this presentation. It was it was I, I was confident. I knew my material. Um, so I get there and and they're telling me and this kind of goes back. This this will lead into when I talk about working with David Opstein, the um the school intruder film this the, in the summer of 2016. So, um, so I, I do this, this thing for, you know, this, this PBS presentation in, in 2013 and, and they have you at a podium and then there's this, you know, the, the crowd out in front and they're saying, okay, like you're, you, all of your stuff is going to be on a screen in front of you. You're looking down, you're on the podium. And so as you go through and you move through the slides, like all stuff will be in front. Do not look in back of you at the screen. Like it's not directly in back of you anyway. It's off on the side a little bit. But don't look up at the screen. Do not bring a laser pointer. Don't like leave this area. Like this is your area. Like you do not leave this area. There's a camera that's focused here. There's a camera that's focused. I mean, there's cameras from all different angles and stuff like that. But and then they put the you know lapel thing and know that you have that on and stuff like that. But um, but yeah. So I mean, it's kind of this crash course of of don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. Here's what you can do. Here's where your stuff is. Um, and and yeah. Um, so I learned a lot in a very short time. It was surprising that they didn't tell me this ahead of time um, because I did actually plan at one point to to kind of interact a little bit more with the audience. And, and, I, and I didn't. It was fine. Everything went fine. But um, so, yeah, stand in one location, read what's on the monitor. You can, you know, move move your mouse and stuff. And and then what like what we're going to have going on might not match what you're doing. Um you know, we might have your your things or, or zoom in or stuff like that. So just like you focus on what you're doing. So like gotcha. Um, and so the presentation aired, it was live, which they can do. And then after that they had to shut it down. And they shut it down to go into closed captioning. And then it also once it's sent through so they would call me once in a while and say, like, you said something at this point and, and they sent me a disc. They said, you know, look at the, you know, 47th minute, 13th second. You said this phrase, we don't understand, like, this term, 
what does that mean? Like we need to describe this out or, or what exactly is this? And is this, is this term, what we wrote, is this actually what you said? And so they, they double check this. They have to have this closed caption because then this was, is going to become part of their programming for PBS. Like not only Wisconsin, nationwide, Canada, like actually worldwide. Um, uh, remember this, this is kind of the defining, um, media representation of of what school safety looks like after sandy sandy hook from an empirical standpoint this is it and um so it took until september so remember did this in may 22nd 2013 then in september 2013 it the closed captioning is done then they they have to go through ratings so i i don't know how this exactly works but they they have a certain group then that has to assign a rating it was rated g and then they assign a rating to it and it's closed caption and then they can can put it into scheduling and it showed something like eight times across the nation and it still shows once in a while depending upon what if there's a school event that happens any i believe any pbs affiliate can bring it up um, i do know that it showed in in canada um, it's downloadable um it was it was interesting because my parents were watching it and they were hunting around and, and their friends would 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 find it, and after I gave it like it showed for the next week or two um, pretty frequently, and people at work or people that saw me would say hey I saw you on TV like the other day I'm like thanks uh, that's kind of cool I mean you know uh, once in a while people still do that or they'll they'll drop an email or something like that but um, and I actually saw that presentation i was going online and, and doing a google search because i was updating a um a professional uh vita that or vita vita whatever um for the university that that i work with and i needed to cite some of my previous works and links to it so i was just trying to find out like you know the the, the link to this and i found that a university was using my video as an assignment in a class that you had to watch the video and then you had to answer certain questions about school safety and bias and rhetoric and and and, and whatever and and you know i i think it was like a law class and i think there was another i think there was actually another class that had to do more sociology and it was pretty cool because um, it was, I could actually find like the syllabus and then, you know, it, it just showed up in the search and then it was like, please watch this video by, by David Pronin. At that time it wasn't Dr. David Pronin, didn't have my, my PhD and, and, um, you know, and make comments. And so I was like, Hey, someone is watching me as part of their university assignment. Um, so, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. Um, so again, the work, that video is still out there. It's very relevant. I'd love to do a follow-up to it. I was contacted to do a follow-up to it. The, the thing is, a lot has changed since then. You know, in four years, a lot has changed. And I I would do it a video from a different perspective. Um, one is to talk about what a soft target is, what a hardened target is, and the fact um, that the method of delivery of harm is evolved in the last four years from web gun being the weapon to vehicle being a weapon we're, we're seeing that type of transition um, the evolution of the online reporting systems as a way to counter some of that um, and then also i i think i would bring in more of the theoretical perspective and also talk about the theory uh, uh, you know you've watched this this show um sense making carl wyke's sense making theory understanding small minute changes in your environment at the earliest possible stage and then reacting appropriately to those changes this is this is something um you know that is that is so critical in a quick response to to something identifying these minute changes and ooh this this isn't quite right something's not quite this and it's that sixth sense that people have that gut feeling trust that gut feeling um so yeah to to go along with that so i'll talk about that in my book coming out uh before long the lessons of lower manhattan with my publisher 
uh, Roman and Littlefield, uh, we'll be talking about sense making. And after that, I, I, I think I'm going to talk with uh, PBS again and and maybe look at a follow up to the 2013 presentation. And by that time, it's probably going to be five years out. And uh, a lot is you know a lot has changed. You know, certainly certainly five years. So. Um, let me tell you about about David. So it's either David Obst or David Ops, depending upon who you listen to or even different times you listen to, to David. Um, I was, to give you a little background in this, I've done consulting out in California for school safety. And one of my um, clients out in California had had worked with, uh, with David um, and... So David Ops is, is a, I'll talk about him in a little bit so you understand who he is. He is a significant, significant figure in literature, in publishing, especially in the 1960s and 70s, in movies, movies that you know, movies that you've watched as a producer, as a writer, uh, very, very, very significant um, in, in that world. And... Um, I, I was I was brought in because uh, David was working on an intruder film, a school intruder film. David's belief very much aligned with my belief. And now, granted, you know we're we're a, you know a solid generation plus maybe apart, but um, David's belief was that that rhetoric was was taking over in school safety. I mean, people were just being freaked out, parents being being completely convinced you have to fortify schools teachers have to carry weapons you have to teach teachers in self-defense teach kids to take on intruders and all of these things and programs which these authentically exist out there um, and he wanted to come at this in a more um, empirically based approach of what really happens during most school intruder situations and then film that out and use that um than to 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 again give a give a portrayal of of reality to people versus this this sensationalized rhetoric that people get um, where they they get scared into to making um, well one is perceiving schools as very unsafe and and the second part is is also into these massive efforts to pour dollars into fortification which never really resolves anything. I'll never forget the the Sandy Hook, um, you know, the, the Sandy Hook massacre. When I did my presentation on PBS, the Sandy Hook massacre, you know, was still um, was still very much in the news, and it wasn't until a few years later that the um, out of out of that Sandy Hook massacre came, you know, a two hundred plus page analysis of that event, and saying, you know, the school was, was well fortified and had, you know, you look at, you look at a shot from above of, of the school and the playground is, is adjacent to the school. And to get to the playground with a vehicle and to go up on a playground and hypothetically, if that would have been your soft targets of saying, you know, I'm, I, to get into the school is not going to be very easy. To get up in a playground with a vehicle and to to run over kids, I mean, as as dark as this sounds, would have been relatively easy to do, um, and is scary, you know, as a as that sounds, uh, but that would have been relatively easy to do. So it's one of these things where you talk about soft targets, hard targets. We had the Sam Bernardino um, murder, where the um, husband uh, who was separated from his wife, this was back in what earlier april of 2017 just a few weeks ago came into the school had said you know i need to to take something to my wife school staff buzz him in of course he's a spouse they don't think anything of it he's got a smile you know um he walks down to the classroom kills her and in and inadvertently kills a student who's behind her because a bullet travels through her and, and kills this the student and another student is injured um, as horrible as that is, in analyzing could that have been prevented, um, the answer is probably not. Um, it, the, it could have been changed, uh, 
meaning um, the school staff could have said, well, you know, leave whatever you have for her here and we'll get it to her. And in that case, uh, he could have pulled out his weapon. He would have already been inside the school and, and he could have just darted to the classroom or he could have shot someone and then gone toward the classroom. Or they could have said, uh, we'll bring your wife up here to, you know, we'll, we'll have someone go down and quick watch her room and have her come up um, because we don't, you know, want people in the in the hallways. And, and then, you know, a situation where, again, he kills her, kills himself, could kill somebody in the office, um, or that they, you know, deny him access to the building. But the rea- reality is that's probably not going to happen. I mean, this is someone who they're, they're coming in, they're looking benign, they do have a spouse that works in, in, the, in the building. Um, so you play through these scenarios, unless you have a guard there who pats down every single person that comes in or they go through some kind of metal detector or whatever just to get in and out of the building um you know this this isn't preventable and and even if that would have been there what would he have done he would have just waited out in the parking lot like he's going to pick his wife up after school she comes out and he's going to you know open fire at that time so there are all of these contingencies that you just are not going to be able to to plan for the best option in that case would have been had she if she was anticipating um that you know she was you know they they were separated at that time that there, there there could be some you know some friction that that she make administration aware that you know he's not he's not to come here or if there was a restraining order or i don't know what again it didn't it seemed like he had held it um, held it together pretty well that he hadn't shown that he was going to to bring this this injury, this this mess, this harm to her, and then inadvertently to this other student. So, um, let me let me tell you about um, so so how I got to meet David. So I, I got contacted um, by David's folks, and they said he's working on this film, and he needs a content expert in and, and you're a content expert in school safety we have some scenes we want you to look at and tell us what you think about them are they you know are they accurate would these things actually probably happen in a school intruder school shooting situation so i'm like yeah sure so they they shoot me over some some script you know uh, email it to me and then also get me in contact directly with David. So David and I are talking, we're Skyping, we're working together. And I, I didn't really realize like who he was until a little bit later. And, and I'm going to read through a little bit of his, his kind of uh, summary of, of professional work um, because it is, it is impressive. And the fact that I got to work with him uh, was, was really cool. Um, and I wasn't like, I wasn't nervous at all. It was funny because my my mom had asked, you know, are you nervous with working, you know, on this project? And I said, not not really. I mean, you know what I'm doing. I mean, and and it wasn't like it's not my livelihood. Um, so I I and and if it ended tomorrow, it did. I mean, it's, it's kind of a cool thing though. I never done, I've never done this before. So. Um, so it, David and I kind of hit it off. We both had a similar personality, and and let me tell you. Uh, so I, I was I was brought in as a content expert, meaning that I would look over script. So they were providing me script, and and script is written in a very specific format, which I had to also learn. I don't have any background in uh, film. So I had to learn, like, what is a slug line? You know, how does a script come together? And what does this mean? And if someone is talking, you know, you, you, the, you're, you're hearing a voiceover of their thoughts. And why would you use a voiceover of their thoughts? And and some of those things. So, I mean, um, just totally, like, I just didn't know this stuff. I've never studied that stuff, you know. Um, and And... But it's it's interesting because you you get a little glimpse of when you ask actors to get immersed into the role they're going to play and they haven't played that before, um, uh, just just a, a, amazing. Heath Ledger comes to mind in the role of the Joker. How he had um, you know he had watched different films and, and he put his own 
journal together of things like that the Joker might write and stuff like that. And, and kind of, I didn't get to that depth of, of, um, you know, trying to understand this, but I did go in and did a lot of research on how film is put together, what some of the lingo is, what some of the formats are. And of course, David knew the stuff inside out because this, this was his life and the guy was a, a pro at this Pulitzer Prize winning, um, author and producer. So, um, David is a American literary, literary agent and author. He was agent of Carl Bernstein and Bob Woodward. Remember, uh, Bernstein and Woodward, the, you know, and Nixon, you know, the Nixon leaving the white house, uh, David Opst right there, right there. Um, he, he also was involved in the productions of the, uh, the films revenge of the nerds. He talked a lot about that with me, and we talked a lot off the record. We had, we, we had a really good rapport, and he just talked about how fun that movie was to to make. Um, and while, it, you know, Revenge of the Nerds, we might look at it as somewhat childish, it's also a movie which does have a strong, subtle message of inclusion, of... Um, you know, of, of taking students who are, you know, of, of high, um, of high aptitude and, and, you know, that was kind of the budding of technology and things like that. And, and, you know, being bullied, being harassed and, and finally, you know, standing up for yourself and coming out on, on, on top and being vindicated and not choosing violence as a way to do that. So there, there was a strong, um, social justice component to Revenge of the Nerds, and if we all watch it now, we probably don't think about that. But, but for the time, it, it was it was really an eye opener in in that regard. Um, but uh, and a fun movie, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Hey, that's David, and uh, All the President's Men. Again, another work by David Opst. And uh, he was the the president of Random House Publishing, Random House, which we're familiar with, 1977 to 79. He was given um, um, a, uh, an imprint by both Random House and Simon & books uh, called the, the David Ops books. He, pu- he published over 50 titles. So, he, you know, he's also in the publishing business, was it in the publishing business and a literary agent in, in addition to a producer. So um, he, he was the um, CEO of Dispatch News Service from 69 to 74. That's when he worked with Investigative News Service with Seymour Hirsch and, and received the Pulitzer Prize um, for the uh, my lay massacre story. Now, here's what you do. You go into like, um, Wikipedia or whatever. And it's like, you know, they, they have where they pronounce it. So I believe it is pronounced my lay M Y L A I massacre. But that was when, um, it was during the Vietnam war. It was a mass killing of between like 347 and 504 unarmed civilians in South Vietnam March 16th, 1968, committed by U.S. Army soldiers from Company C, 1st Battalion, 20th uh, um, Infantry Regiment, 11th Brigade, 23rd uh, Infantry Division. Uh, victims included men, women, children, and infants. And actually, it was, was a court-martial on this. Um, so so really a, a stepping over the the boundary um, for use of military force against unarmed civilians. And he was essential in in breaking that story open and getting then a Pulitzer Prize for that. Um, David also, um, so he, he, since then, he's taken on a a number of, of, of different projects. Um, and, and working with uh, schools in, in Los Angeles, this county. But um, so we started out on this 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 intruder film. And I can't give too many details uh, about it. Um, I also got to work with with the the well a number of people associated with the film. But um, so you know the film has been the the filming has been concluded. So now it goes to this edit process. 
and then they go through, you know, if they're going to do any retakes or how they're going to market this and package it together and, and what it will finally look like. So there's this process of, of all this goes on, but it was, um, but it, it was, the, the filming was concluded in 2000, 2016. But as you know, editing and all of that is a different process. And then how this actually gets released and what it's called and how it gets incorporated. A lot, a lot of different, um, ways that, that those those roads travel so we started out and and david would ask would would get me some scenes and, and we would spend time it was mostly last summer summer's 2016 going over you know okay here's a recess recess scene you know give me your input on on this from a technical expert in school safety and i would i would and uh, pretty soon david said you know what let I, I'm going to change this. I'm going to move you from a content um, contributor, or or um, I don't know if it's so much fact checker, um, but it is it's it's content contributor, content accuracy, to uh, co-author. So David and I would write this together, like together at the same time, like we'd sit down and we'd write this thing, and. Uh, David knew how to set the scenes up. I didn't know that. Like he'd say, okay, here's where the camera will be. Here's the shot will be. And then I would, I would, you know, talk about here's likely the events that would go through for if the intruder did come onto a playground and we had different scenarios or into a school. And here's like, we had certain characters that we were dealing with, primary characters, younger, you know, children who were some primary characters and then you'd have of course your extras and things like that and and uh something interesting too is um i was under the impression that the studios would have all of these these vehicles and all these other things that they would just kind of store and bring out for different things but that's not the way it is anymore um you know they would they would rent what they needed so if they needed police cars if they needed um, you know, extras in police officers and stuff like that, um, to role play, they would just rent those for the, for the, the scripts. Um, so, so yeah, we would go through things and then David actually moved me all the way up to, to co-producer, um, or, or not co-producer, it's just a co-director. Um, so I started out as a, as a kind of content checker and moved up to writing this with David. Like we would actually write it together on, and in a, in a, it come up in a Google Doc and 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 we'd talk about it as we we're, were putting it together and and then um you know David's like well you have to do this and this, make sure you ever you know we have to put the slug line we have to, I'm, I'm like David I'm like you've been doing this your entire life your Pulitzer Prize winner I've never done this before like I I, I know the stuff <laughs> but okay like you gotta give me give me a little slack here because uh you know it's not my profession. Um, but I learned a lot. I learned, and I learned quickly because he's an excellent teacher on how to do this, and he's easygoing. Um, so we, we we put this we put the script together, um, and and it was it was just a phenomenal experience, and really it was like six to eight weeks, and it was done, and it was long. Um, I, I I don't know how many pages. I mean, it was probably you know length of my dissertation um, once we got done with it, and. Um, we we didn't really have to make many revisions. We worked with the the film crew, and as far as like how they would cast it out and, and all of that and locations, and we were really on. I mean, we were really on. We worked great as a team, and it was so much fun. He he's he was a fun guy, and I felt one of the things that that came up. Um, so uh, you know, I I did not um i always i always felt that i had to justify what we were doing in a scene so and there would be things like david would say you know we there would be a, a recess scene set up and i would say you know what dave a couple things here one is there's not going to be this many supervisors out on a playground schools just don't have the resources so instead of like six people out here for a playground there's probably going to be two or three and yeah, the radios and in, in, in the the vests that they wear, um, they might all match. They might not match. They're going to be somewhat worn. But you know, the, the reason they're wearing the vests is so students can identify them on the playground and go up and ask them questions. The two-way radios they have should 
probably report to the office. That makes sense, but they're they're not going to use any like super high tech lingo or anything. It's just going to be more of a dialogue of saying you know, like um, Johnny's coming in, you know, um, because uh, you know scraped up knee or you know has banged up his arm, and and so you know Julie Julie is going to be going in with him, and and they'll be going in um, to the nurse's office and, and just something like that. So you know we we talked about things like that, and also. When we actually had, for one scene, we had the intruder on the, the playground and how everybody would position out. And um, so the intruder then had a, had a bag and spent a lot of time on saying, you know, trying to psychologically process this too. Of, okay, soon, to, you know, he has this, this, this duffel bag. Where is he holding this? Yeah, and we would talk about that. And I'd say, you know, I think he's holding this thing like close by. Because this, you know, this might have other weapons in it, whatever, and in we're going to have a hallmark event through, um, you know, when he puts this this thing down, that then that's going to indicate that you know he's open to some kind of discussion. But um, through this this process of this intruder going on the scenes of how staff would interact with him. Um, you know, like some students would go in and they'd say, "Why are they going in?" Well, we're having students with disabilities go in. Um, and you know, and, and and repeatedly, like this intruder would say, "It's my school. This is my school." I mean, someone who's very hard to reason with, kind of delusional. So yeah, it's you know, it's your school. We're validating. We're validating that how to keep distance. Um, and then the, the the things between like an A roll and a B roll. Like I have no idea. I know what an egg roll is. Very tasty. Some egg rolls can be excellent. Um, but an A roll. A roll is like the you're just shooting the actual what's happening. And a B-roll might be you take a cut and you're showing what's happening like in the office, maybe because there's going to be a call that has to go in to the office for assistance. And you take a look and the office is busy, you know, at that time, maybe some parents in there, whatever. And the principal isn't there. Maybe the principal's in the cafeteria supervising. So that's like a B-roll. Um, that's something that, that's, that's going on in, in the in, also going on in the school, but not immediately germane to what's going on, but this A roll, B roll. So I'm like, all things like, I have no idea what they are. I'm like, A roll, B roll, C roll, Simon roll. Very good. Um, so, and then also this format of we, I, what I what I brought to this too, I thought was very helpful, is I said, you know, if we were to make this more accessible to people with disabilities, not only visual disabilities, which I'm quite familiar with because I work with people who are blind, um, but also people with learning disabilities. I said, let's let's really load this thing up with voiceovers. So instead of like having a student get a text in a classroom, just a text and, and you know, a zoom in on the text and, and the text says, you know, um, you know, make sure you're out of the school by 10 o'clock today, you know, for whatever reason. And from you know and we had different characters one was sunny and one was somebody somebody else but these kind of our main characters um and they had already been cast i mean so they're being filmed and, and these are actual people um these you know actual kids said well you know there's going to be some students aren't going to be able to to read this and plus i think it has more impact if it comes through like the voice of the student and who's the main student who we had um carson we we had as as the name of the main student now some of these names have probably changed since then and i can't really say probably too much more without you know getting getting this down um to to the point of giving away information but um that that is confidential to the film but um but yeah carson so we we had the the visual of what was shown would be on the screen, but then also this voiceover that would you hear Carson reading these these this text, and then you also had this this dilemma then from this the student of do I just blow off this text like he does this all the time, so why should I report it, or like oh my goodness like how do I report this like do I want to snitch out on Carson or do I take it in my own hands to send a text back to Carson saying like, no, come on, you know, think twice, don't do anything stupid. Um, so, so you kind of have these, these things go through, but that was one thing I think I really brought to the process 
was this kind of universal design for learning or universal design for expression in this film, especially for younger um, children who might be exposed to it. Now, granted, now this film, just so you know, did not include anybody getting shot and killed. Um, it did have a, you know, a, a peaceful ending to it. it was not profanity laced. These were all things, first of all, David and I had a shared belief that, um, you know, what was being portrayed was way over the top, way too graphic and, and inaccurate to what authentically happens in a number of school events. And no one has really shown the side of um, the majority of the time per what we know from statistical analysis um, from the stats is that these shootings do end, um, or not these shootings, but these school intruder events end peacefully. A number of times de-escalation by staff or the student or the intruder surrendering. So we, we know that, but that doesn't come up. So we wanted to stress that in this, this film and then also give um, specific language and specific proximity approaches that people could use and then also with staff demonstrating staff cohesively working together to bring a resolution to this matter like and then how students could have this sense making or try to start conditioning them on the sense uh, of, of this hyper awareness um so um I, w I was, I'll, I'll be honest, I was completely overwhelmed the first writing session I had with David. So again, this guy has, has you know, he's published a, a ton of books. He's at his publishing house. I mean, he's a big name in the business. Late, later, he became my literary agent, served as my literary agent as I secured my first book deal with Roman and Littlefield. Um, since then, David is not my agent anymore. I've just gone independently with Roman and Littlefield, um, and and David is is working on some different um, projects, you know, right now. Uh, but he was my my agent as as I secured my first book deal. I appreciate you know very much. Um, you know, when you're represented by someone who represented uh, Woodward and Bernstein, and and they're acting you know aggressively on on your behalf, it's so hard to get a a offer from a publishing house, you know, where they give you an advance. An advance is basically, again, money so you don't have to work, so you can write. And what I did was kind of unique is I took my advance and I just said, hold it in escrow. It's kind of this old school feeling I have. It's like, I'll take the money after I write the book. And and once you get the book and it's done, it's complete, then fine, give me the money. But, you know, don't give it to me ahead of time. And, and plus, that would have added a little more anxiety to me. So, um, but yeah, David and I, you know, we, we worked really well together. A few things I learned is, um, I, I learned, uh, one, one page of script is basically one minute of screen time. And you had a certain threshold on that too. And I forget what it was, how many, if it was uh, all in all like 80 pages, like an hour and 20 minutes of screen time or whatever, but you, you really had to fight for anything beyond that. But that was one thing is one page is one minute of, of screen time and how you would set up a shot with the camera and how it would pan and all of that. Like you, you didn't have to describe out a lot of things because the image would set a lot of that for you. I kept coming to David and saying, okay, and I would write some additional things. We would, I'd work on some of the script in asynchronous and, and get it back to him. And again, we worked really well in this process. And one thing David finally said to me is he goes, y you're the expert in this, okay? Like you have a PhD from UW-Madison. You do this stuff. You've been on PBS. Like people know you. Um, you do not have to provide justification for everything that you're telling us. We believe you, you know, you you have the knowledge on this. If you needed to seek out the, uh, a justification for something, for some reason, that would be fine. But, like, you don't need to do this, David. Like, you do not need to tell us why, you know, at this point, you are the expert in this. So if you're telling us that when we have this scene and we're showing this exterior scene and police cars are coming up and they're all the same police cars, and what we really need to do is 
the likelihood of, of, of all of the same police cars, same police force showing up is unlikely. It's going to be this, this mixture of sheriff and local police and, and, you know, neighboring police, whoever might be in the area and just whatever is showing up to this call. You're telling us that that's probably going to happen. Plus, all these parents are going to start crowding in, so we need to position cars and and leave them with doors open and things like that, so it's hard to get into places. Okay, if you're telling us that, then that's what we're going to do. Because, like, you're the expert. You know this. You don't have to submit a 10-page thing justifying, like, why this is going to happen or anything. That was really hard for me. And I still did that a little bit on my own. Like, at least I took some kind of notes behind the scenes. Um... In case, like I, I always imagine myself, and I and I did this because that's the way I was trained in my dissertation defense at UW Madison, uh, and that was a, a really rigorous defense of having to justify why, 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 um, which was good, which was good, but in again the film, it was more of understanding and, and learning from the the filmographers and learning from David of you know if we set up the scene this way. And if we use some of the thought bubbles, um, you know, and, and have that narrator text or that, that voice of that student go over, we can address all of these things um, and get this information out to the, the audience and, and through this scene without having to, to really get deep into these these other kind of descriptions and things like that. And, and people, you know, will, will be able to infer, you know, from this what's happening. So, um any anyway, uh, it, it was it was absolutely phenomenal to to do. So uh, just make sure I've, I've kind of covered everything here. So finally, as as I kind of wrap this up. One of the things, too, is David and I worked really well together. At one point, he told me, he said, I wish we would have worked together on different things uh, throughout our our careers. Not that not, this is not really my career, but, you know, that we, we would have had an opportunity to work on other things because we worked really well together. It was just one of those things that meshed. He, he, he's very competent, and he's also at a stage in his career where he doesn't have to prove anything. Um and he's he's knowledgeable he's an excellent teacher um and he would write in these little pieces i'd go through a script and i would find um one page where something just totally wouldn't fit with everything else and one was like someone is biking past the school and all of a sudden the kids pick up like apples and start throwing them at this guy um, and, and it's just this this guy who's who's doing this as part of a script. Well, the reason why they do stuff like that, and then I asked him, um, and it's something he throws in at the last minute, so you don't know it until you're kind of going through it. And um, the reason you do stuff like that is just to break up the monotony and to change the pace so that the people are alert. And he said this is done in all films. Like there's all these little pieces that are film film that are that are thrown out there that'll never make it to uh, any cut. You know, like they'll never they'll never be produced. But they do it to break up the monotony because you think you you make this in one shot. You don't like. You can shoot this over and over and over and over and over again. And that's something I had realized, too, is like, for me, you know, I don't have to go through that. But for these actors, I have to go over and over and over and over again. And trying to really help the actors and the talent that they have, I mean, the the professionalism and the way that they treated me as a professional um, and some, you know, the, the, the big name actors and the big name people involved in this and the way that they treated me, uh, was, was incredible. Um, very, very high level of, of respect. You know, if this is what you said, Mr. Proden, then this is, at that time, Dr. Proden, this is, this is what we're doing. Um, you know, you, you've got to say on this, this is your call. Um, so that, that was phenomenal. What, what I've learned, um, is from a safety stamp standpoint is to the the safety tools you acquire you can use across a lot of different venues the movie was really exciting to do i'm very thankful that i did that the connections i make with that i'm actually working on another movie right now uh which is more of a thriller um suspense you know type type movie and uh always always be open to the to the doors 
before you. When they open, you know, don't be afraid to step through. From a safety standpoint, though, uh, I commend David Alps for his efforts, his ongoing efforts to um, take away the rhetoric from school safety. And he has the means and the network. And I'm also very appreciative for him and the connections he made um, with my my publishing house and I was able to get, you know, my book contract, which I'm excited about, which reminds me over and over again, like this summer, I need to put that together. I have been putting it together in pieces, but like all of the pieces, of the jigsaw has to come together this summer because I do have a deadline for the book. Um, and that needs to come out. So this is the safety doc. Thank you very much. Have a safe, safe week.